came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show. Adam Johnson, what's going on in our economy? Uh, Steve Cates, when you look up in the sky, what are we going to see? Dr. Peter Michalos, George P. Bush, what's going on with the borders in Texas? Bert Flickinger, how are sales in the Christmas time? Mario Economo, he says, his opinion, we have already lost the Ukrainian war. And leading off on national show, retired special agent for the FBI, James Gagliano, talk about law enforcement in America and the sad state of affairs. With us today is James Gagliano, FBI, a West Point graduate, a former airborne ranger, infantry officer, a retired FBI uh, supervisory special agent. Who is more qualified to tell us year in now what the heck is going on in law enforcement? What the heck is going on in our country? What are terrorists creating bases in America right now because of open borders? Well, James Gagliano, Merry Christmas. Tell us what the heck is going on. Well, John, back at you. Thanks for having me, and a Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Well, I think we can go back to what FBI Director Christopher A. testified about before Congress a couple weeks ago. And I think to uh, paraphrase him, he said he had never in his tenure or in recent modern history seen as many elevated threats all at the same time. And, and he's talking about going back to 9-11. And, and obviously, you know, the current ongoing war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, the October 7th attack by the Hamas terrorists, this has absolutely created a, a climate that seems rife for something to happen either in Europe or in the United States. You know, for the FBI director to say that he had not seen this and going back to 9-11, that is absolutely cause for concern. What happened with Hamas is that the Iranians, in my opinion, pressed the button because they wanted Hamas to go into Israel and create a problem. And yeah, what I'm afraid of with all these people crossing the borders, that I think the FBI the other day or somebody, or Homeland Security the other day, somebody said that there's two million people the highest ever under surveillance in the United States of America for possible terrorism. It's insane. And, 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 you, and John, you think that the simple fix to this would be just to go back to the Trump era policies, you know, the, the stay in Mexico policy. If you're if you're a legitimate asylum seeker, the United States has been a welcoming place um, for folks that are that are that are fleeing from uh, persecution from from their own government. The problem is, unlike Mexico and Canada, you know, our neighbor to the south and our neighbor to the north, we allow folks to come into the country and not be held in the first country they enter when they're seeking asylum and fleeing from an oppressive regime. And that's a huge mistake. And you talked about the numbers. I mean, the, the numbers are 
absolutely mind-boggling that we allow this many people that are unvetted to cross the border. Our system simply cannot process them. They end up getting released and given a court date. Many times, many times, they don't show up for those. Not all of them, of course. I'm not going to smear with a broad brush, but some of them commit crimes, including violent crimes, while they're here. It is a level of insanity that the likes of which we're not going to be able to remain a country, a free republic with open borders. And we share a 2,000 mile border with Mexico. I served in Mexico for over a year as as the FBI's deputy legal attache and legal attache. This has been ongoing for a long time. And for the Biden administration to pretend that the border is secure and that people that are hostile to us, whether they're from Iran, North Korea, China, or Russia, or parts of the Middle East that want to come here and do harm, there's a simple way to do it. You just get to Mexico and you cross the border and boom, you're into our society and you can make bad things happen. Is any of the, our people that work in Washington committing treason by allowing some of these things to happen? It's a, that's a strong, strong it's a term. very treason, strong word. Sedition. Yeah, yeah. Treason and sedition, those are, I mean, there, there are narrow definitions for what those words mean. Now, I would suggest that their policies are not in the best interest of the United States, especially in regards to national security. But, I mean, here we are. We, we keep electing the same type of folks and then expect them to act differently than, than the way they've been speaking about and what they support and what they don't support. And, you know, to pretend that the Democrats are going to be border hawks, be strong on border security because of this, um, is like to expect that crime is going to go down because they're releasing people, recidivists, they're not prosecuting people, they're tolerating anarchy and lawlessness, and to expect a different result. John, it's just not going to happen. We, you know, we're damned that we get the people that we elect and we get the policies from the people that we elect, and here we are. James, are you, uh, are you 100% right because the, the joke they play on the consumers and the American people in New York, in New York City, New York State, is arrests are down. Well, police officers are scared to make arrests because they got to do more paperwork and nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. That's it's why a, arrests are it, down. Yeah, it's, it's turnstile justice, and um, they're so adamant, you know, in the post-George Floyd world, the summer of 2020, from, you know, holding people accountable. And you get a district attorney like Alvin Bragg that just doesn't prosecute certain crimes. So why would you put the wonderful men and women of the NYPD in harm's way to make an arrest because people don't comply anymore? And if they don't comply, there's, there, there are no repercussions for that. If they flee the scene in a car, police aren't allowed to chase them. If they fight and struggle with a cop and try to disarm them and hurt them, they get a slap on the wrist. And when they get arrested, even recidivists that have done the same crimes, shoplifting, smashing grabs, assaults, public nuisance crimes, they're just given desk appearance tickets. So why would a police officer want to put themselves in that position where they become the next national story and, and the next time that you know people turn out in the streets and they burn? Uh, cities and protest and riot, why would they want to? We are creating a permissive environment for crime. And then we scratch our heads and go, boy, why is crime ticking up? Why is there more violent crime? And yeah, you're right, John, with the, with the arrest statistics. The Democrats like to point to that. Well, arrests are down because we're not arresting people for what are crimes on the books. Yes.
It's, it's and, literally and James, insanity. One more thing, because we're going to run out of time. A lot of our three-letter words, federal agencies, sometimes come to me, and I won't mention names, I won't mention which agencies, and say, look, we do our job the way we've been doing it for the last 100 years. I said, what happens if you have a political advisor trying to stop you from doing your job? Said we do our jobs for, like we do for the last 100 years, my opinion, I think they're ignoring the politics and doing what they're supposed to do unless they come upon it. No, you're right about that, too, John. And, uh, you know, the, the FBI director and the attorney general are both political appointees. Now, they're supposed to act, you know, in a nonpartisan, apolitical fashion. But obviously, some of the things you talk about on your radio show all the time, um, what we're seeing are decisions that don't pass the smell test. And look, I love the FBI. I spent 25 years in it. Respect the men and women in it. But the leadership there in recent vintage, going back to about 2000, 2016, under the uh, under the James Comey tenure, has just seemed to be caving to political pressure. And John, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to recover. James, if I had that job to have my dignity, I would stand up. If the political people ask me to do something wrong, and I want to keep my dignity, I would stand up and say, "Boss, you're wrong," and say it publicly. You're right. We need more people like you that call things what they are. Unfortunately, today's day and age, there's not a lot of that going around, John. James Gigliano, let's catch up again real soon. Have a Merry Christmas. and Same to you, sir. Good to join you. Have a Merry Christmas as well. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Adam Johnson with the American Ingenuity Fund. And uh, he runs uh, uh, several investment funds besides that. And uh, good morning. Uh-huh. John, good morning, thanks for Adam. having me. Hey, yes. thanks for having me, John. It's great to be with you. Uh, give us an update. Uh, we just finished almost like seven consecutive weeks of market rises. We threatened that the market was going to go up 10%. It's already gone up from like 33,000 33, up to 37,000. That's almost 10%, isn't it? Oh, I know. Uh, it's on a tear. And, you know, I tell you, for those of us who are optimists, who, who believe in this country, who enjoy investing in growth stocks, uh, but have been fighting the Fed and inflation and interest rates, Finally, finally, we're getting our due. Yes, you're right. The market is up a lot over the past six, seven weeks. But, you know, it's amazing, John. The NASDAQ, you know, where all those tech stocks live, that's still 10% below the all-time high. And if you look at the small cap companies, you know, the smaller ones that grow fast that are exciting, but people probably haven't heard of them. The small caps are still 20% below the all-time highs. So if you ask me whether I think this thing can keep going, yeah, I really do, John. I really think this economy is stronger than many of us believe. I think that we got battered by COVID and we got so accustomed to bad news that when good news happens, it's hard to actually see it. But it's not as bad as we think. And the stock market's finally catching up with that concept. And both of us were on Maria Bonalomo's show on when the PPI came out. And we both agreed that the market is going up. And we both agreed that interest rates are going to go down. And and in the fact that oil is going to be down to steady. What would... You know, what's so funny about that is, as you say it, and I believe it, it's so logical. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to believe it. I mean, think about this, John. Inflation at one point, you know, the consumer price index, CPI, that's typically the way economists measure inflation. The Fed's benchmark is 2%. But because of the craziness of COVID, that 2% shot all the way up to 9 
CPI actually went to 9.1%. Well, it's back down to three. And I know three isn't two, but it's pretty darn good. And by the way, producer prices, which is, you know, the wholesale level, they got as high as 11.9, and they're now down to one. So, okay, fine. Maybe we're not 100% back to where we want to be, you know, 2%. But, gosh, we've come a long way. And it's why the Fed is finally saying, okay, we think we're done. We can't take a victory lap. But, yeah, inflation is is way down. Supply chains, I mean, you know, in your business, supply chains have practically normalized. And, and you know, food prices are coming down. Oil's coming down. So, you know, it's that helps. Some of the Fed guys are mad as heck uh, on what Powell did and make, and make those statements. But I think he's uh, more on the right uh, that he's doing the right thing than the wrong thing. And yeah, uh, why yeah, are these yeah. guys so, why are they so bent on raising interest rates? Who are they benefiting? I mean, they're killing the rest of the economy, but who are they? Who do you think they benefit? Well, okay, so Mr. Powell, you know, the guy who runs the Federal, Federal Reserve, I mean, he had to raise rates because inflation was out of control. Now, admittedly, he kind of created the problem because, you know, he let, if you remember, John, two and a half years ago, he said, yeah, inflation's only like one and a half percent, and we're willing to let it run a little hot. Well, he let it run hot, all right. So, you know, he had to raise rates. But, you know, to give the guy credit, he recognized he let rates stay too low for too long. The world was flooded with money. Okay, so he's raised rates. And now he's saying, fine, we're going to start to slowly lower that. We're not going back to zero. I mean, that's crazy. That was just the craziness of COVID when we had to flood the world with, with money. Governments flooded the world with money. The Federal Reserve flooded the world. Everybody did. And we needed it. We got through it. It created inflation. And, you know, pendulums always swing too far. And we're just finally, finally, John, getting back to the middle where we belong. What else would you like to, to talk about this Sunday, boy? Well, you know, there are a lot of crazy things happening in the world right now from geopolitical events, Ukraine, Russia, uh, Gaza, Israel, the belligerence that you see out of China, the manipulation of the media, the disconnect at the border where we have absolutely no coherent policy whatsoever. And yet, John, in spite of all of that stuff, there's this thing called America. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's made possible by hardworking people who make the impossible happen, who don't say no, who never quit, who are optimists in spite of it all, and keep going. That is what makes this country great. And we're not perfect, but, you know, as Winston Churchill said, John, America, the thing about Americans is they eventually get it right after they've tried everything else. And we've tried a lot of crazy things over the past few years, but I think we're finally getting back on track, and as we move into 2024 and the clarity and I think the new direction that comes with an election and smart people conveying thoughtful ways forward, I think that gives the rest of us hope that we are on the right path and that tomorrow will be better than today. Thank you very much for coming on this uh, uh, Sunday morning, and I agree with you. Over 90% of the time, so we, we, we must be connected somehow. And, I like uh, it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm lucky, to be, to be lucky to be on your show and lucky to be in agreement with you. I have a lot of respect for, for you, John, and, and all the uh, businesses you've created. 
Adam Johnson, we will continue this conversation into the new year. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning, and, and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, let's, hope for the, let's hope the, the world gets better. Thank you. Yes. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. Well, Steve Cates, what's... uh, uh, what's up there this week? It's the week before Christmas. Any Anything new? We're going to center these first two stories about Mars. Lots of news about Mars. First of all, let's talk about what a Martian orbiting spacecraft called MAVEN has been up there checking the Martian atmosphere for years. Get a look at this. It states that Mars, as a planet, loses a quarter pound of its you know atmosphere, which leaks into space every second. And they found out why. The stream of particles that comes from the sun is called the solar wind. So the solar wind has been pummeling the upper atmosphere of the planet Mars. By the way, it's carbon dioxide. And this, of course, has a big change in what's going on on the surface over billions of years. Because we now know if we go there with manned spacecraft, there's obviously not oxygen present in the Martian atmosphere. But this also leads to the fact of what happened to the water on Mars. So now they're saying there's a connection between the solar radiation depleting the Martian atmosphere, and the fact that Mars doesn't even really have a, you know, a, a giant magnetic field because its internal core basically has slowed down or stopped. So there's so much about Mars that's fascinating. Hopefully, John, we'll get there someday to explore this. Obviously, that's an understatement. So it leaks, leaks uh, into outer space, I guess? Is that what you're saying? Correct. Absolutely. A quarter pound of its uh, you know, atmosphere every second because of the pummeling it gets from the solar wind. So think of it like a giant garden hose or somebody that's using like a sandblaster on something like, you know, a surface of concrete. This powerful stream of radiation, even the Earth gets hit by this, but our magnetic field shields us. Mars doesn't have that. So it's a fascinating story. But let's go now, John, to the surface of Mars. We're always curious about the Perseverance rover. It just celebrated a thousand sols, meaning a thousand Martian days. And just so everybody knows, a day on Mars is 37 minutes longer than an Earth day of some 24 hours. But what it's done, it's collected 23 rock cores as it moves very slowly. Remember, it is a nuclear-type powered vehicle, also with some solar. But what we find out, John, is that what's interesting about this particular spacecraft, it's actually helping us understand how water might have flowed in this zero crater, this giant crater that it's in, and it states because of the rocks and the different types of rocks that they find there, that there probably was water in this giant lake in this crater Jezero, that it was about maybe 100 feet deep at one time. But again, we think we might have answered the reason why the water's gone on Mars. The pummeling of the atmosphere, the lack of a magnetic field, 
Mars is just a brutal place. In other words, there's a hole in their cup. <laughs> it sure is. So it's an amazing planet. And again, let's not make it light here so people think it's a joyful vacation place. It's a very difficult planet to get to, nine months of a journey one way, and it's extremely harsh on the surface. You'd have to plant or land different habitation modules there way ahead of time and a way to hopefully create oxygen. But that's a whole other story itself. But, John, we shift quickly to the mystery of the week, and obviously the holiday well, season. You There's haven't so told us people. about the, the, the helicopter. Oh, Anything well, the, you know? the ingenuity, it's been doing a great amount of research, as we know, John. It flies. This is incredible. There are people who have drones that can't even fly them here on Earth. As good as the Ingenuity helicopter has been on Mars, it's obviously done way more in its expected lifetime than the you know JPL and NASA scientists have said. But see, Mars has just come out of solar conjunction, John. What does that mean in simple terms? It means that the line of sight, Mars, the sun, and the Earth were lined up, and the radiation and light from the sun and energy blocked out a lot of communications. So now we're going to be doing a whole new series of Ingenuity flights. Very simply, Ingenuity rocks. It's an amazing piece of technology, and that leads way to future type of drone craft that will actually explore the planet without having to do short, you know, distance duration missions. Understood. What we talk about, it's amazing. The whole story as we wrap this up, the mystery of the week, here we go as we talk about the holiday season. In the book of Matthew, it describes in some detail what the three wise men may have seen. What do the astronomy folks really think today? Between the year 6 BC and 5 BC, many say, and this is pretty accurate, that there was some sort of major constellation conjunction, meaning two planets came together, maybe Jupiter and Saturn. This was important to the Jews and to the Christians at the time, because obviously we find out the astrological sign that it was in this area of the sky we call Pisces the fish. So this is one theory. It was an alignment. But we're so confused about the birth date of Jesus. Some say anywhere from 4 B.C. to 7 B.C. because of the change in our calendar. So it moves on further, John. It talks about other conjunctions that happened in 7 B.C. and a strange alignment of Jupiter, the moon, and the, in the constellation of Aries, the ram, another of the sacred signs that happened back on April 17th of 6 B.C. So we don't really know what this was, but to the wise men, they were astrologers. And John, I would never discount the fact, I'm sure you would agree, it simply could have been just a miracle, something that we'll probably never know, but we celebrate every year. Uh, a star that comes only every 10,000 years. Absolutely. Um, that's always possible. We also talked about uh, uh, Venus. Uh, mm -hmm. Scientists are starting to look towards Venus so for some possible life if, if it's not on Mars. Yes, John. And it's probably the most unlikely place anybody would imagine. Because in elementary school, you know, we even teach children that the surface of Venus is over 900 degrees Fahrenheit, and ouch, nothing can exist there. But now they're saying, in the clouds of Venus, one of the organic compounds that they're finding is something called phosphine. And what's phosphine? It's one of the enablers that continuously helps us in, in the world of looking at organic compounds, which may be something, you know, to equivalence of having life exist. So life, meaning in the microbial world, could even exist in the clouds of Venus, a highly unlikely place, don't you think, John? And this is where the research goes. But you sure don't want to land on Venus. I, I, saw, it, I saw it in one of the movies. There was a, a city in the clouds on above a planet. Absolutely. In Star Wars, they have an example. I don't know the exact name of that planet in Star Wars, but they had this whole concept of something floating in the atmosphere where obviously they had space vehicles or, 
you know, lighter than aircraft that would fly between the different hotels and buildings up there. But isn't that odd, John? A planet that you would think of as so hot and inhospitable. We've sent craft, the Russians have, they only survived on the surface for only maybe 20 minutes. Because even if you crawled out of your spacecraft on Venus, the pressure would be as if you went under the ocean 3,000 feet. That's how high the pressure is and how inhospitable the temperature is. It's amazing. More stuff always, John, at wabcradio.com, the Dr. Sky Experience. And what do we say? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies as we open up our minds on Sundays to these mysteries that normally we don't hear about. Steve Cates, thank you so much, and uh, and uh, we'll catch up with you again next Sunday. Thank you, John. Good morning. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, Go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Well, we're deep in the heart of Texas. We're on the phone with us. We have George Prescott Bush, George P. Bush, son of Jeb. He had a lot of positions in uh, Texas. He was the... George P., you tell us, what were you doing in, uh, before? <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be back on the program. I, I was uh, honored to serve as the 28th Land Commissioner for the great state of Texas. And, and don't be embarrassed if you don't understand the title or what the job description is. Most Texans didn't know. But I think because of the great work we put in over close to a decade, I think more Texans learned about the important natural resources of the state that we managed to generate billions for public education to help take care of our military veterans and perhaps instead of our illegal immigrants, which is maybe a crazy thought, but one that we take on in Texas. And then finally, we responded to natural disasters. The governor called me in on Hurricane Harvey relief, which is the most devastating storm in American or Texas history, but second in American history behind Katrina and led that housing mission, which continues to this day. But a, a true privilege to serve and one in which I'll, I'll look back and, and tell my grandkids one day, it was great to serve. You're planning to run for office in the future? I mean, what? a Bush not planning to run for office? Impossible. What do you think you might run for someday? <laughs> well, we'll take it day by day. You know, I, I love serving the state of Texas. I remain involved in national politics. I've got a, a great political action committee right now focused on securing the border, reining in government spending, hold the federal government accountable, and making sure that we take back the, the House and the Senate and in White House back. So that's a lot for really anybody to take on. And, you know, at the age of 47, I have a lot of fight left in me. So, you know, what I'd like to do is keep the door open and, you know, we'll see what, what doors open down the road to run, run again. You're in Texas. Everybody talks about the border. Everybody talks about your governor. Give us a report. How bad are things on the border? Well, they, they couldn't be worse. And, and I'm, and don't take it from me, take it from you know, Mayor Adams, take it from other blue city mayors that suddenly have amnesty policies at their doorstep and now having to spend billions of dollars. The the state of California just reported today, John, that they will need to appropriate $20 billion for illegal immigrant refugee housing in their state. Eric Adams reported um, several billion that he will need in the city of New York. And you go down the list from big city to big city, Chicago to Houston, the list goes on. But here in Texas, we, we've been dealing with it, particularly under the Biden administration, at a, at a very severe level. Just to put it all in the context, during the even the Obama days, you would have less than about 100,000 unauthorized entries 
on an annual basis. We, for the last two years, have had over 2 million per calendar year, and this year is projected to be that much more. In fact, earlier this week, we broke a single-day record at over 15,000 in one day. So what does that mean? It means that border communities have to come out of their own pocket. Many of these communities are Hispanic, but you know they came legally, and now they're funding the health care, the law enforcement, the endless amount of social services necessary to handle the, this large influx. But yet we have a White House that refuses to do their job and enforce the laws of our country and, and the Constitution. And that's why I really think in making a bold prediction here that Biden realizes politically this is a death sentence for him and he needs to move on immigration sooner than later if he has any hope of, of running. So what he's going to do is is try to close those asylum laws in consideration for additional funding for Israel and Ukraine. And, it, and it's not just the right thing to do politically for him, but it's the right thing to do for a country to have millions of people come here that we do not know the first thing about. I'll close by saying, John, that we had a young high school cheerleader at the age of 16 in Edna, Texas, which is a community just outside of Houston, who was brutally murdered in her own bathtub by an illegal immigrant. He should not have been in our country in the first place. He's now uh, in jail on bond for $2 million. And, and I don't hope, I, I don't think anybody's going to come and, and pay that, thankfully, and he'll be brought to justice. But, but this is going on for way too long. And Texans, regretfully, we've been dealing with this. So that's why we're, we're excited about a new president and new direction on immigration policy. Does anybody in Texas understand why this is happening? Why is uh, he doing this? Why is uh, Joe Biden doing this? Well, I think two things, John. One is he has never been on the border. This guy's been in public office now for in excess of 40 years. And in all of his time, he's never, never come down to the border and actually talked to Border Patrol officials, to mayors, county judges, people on the ground that deal with this issue every day and has not engaged Mexican authorities to hold them accountable, or like President Trump, who signed bilateral agreements with the Northern Triangle countries to work on the asylum question so that people would be deported much more rapidly and efficiently. But number two, I think it's a, it's a very cynical political move on his part. I think he actually thinks that he's building a new political base, that he can get more support in the Hispanic community when the reverse is happening. Like I said, blue city mayors now are asking for help. They're asking for support, more interdiction, more enforcement of the law. Politically, he's at his lowest polling. I think it's the lowest polling of any modern day president in their first term. And you have many moderates and Democrats themselves now joining or being open to the idea of a new president just on this one issue alone. I can speak for that in Texas. So you know, it's a political calculation that's gone wrong. And like I said, I think he even sees the writing on the wall where he's going to have to reverse course if he wants to get reelected. Well, George P. Bush, thank you for calling in this Sunday morning and, and reporting in. And Merry Christmas and happy holidays and enjoy life. Thank you. Merry Christmas. With us today is uh, Dr. Peter Michalos, and he is a historian. He is a medical expert. And uh, Dr. Michalos, what's uh, in the agenda this Sunday morning? Well, today we're going to talk about inflammation and inflammation biomarkers. And some of the things that occur with inflammation can be found inside the bloodstream. Inflammation can be generated from cancer, autoimmune disease, infection, trauma, 
And an interesting one is dental. It turns out that dental health is very important. I was having a discussion with Dr. Adam Baer, a periodontist, and there's a direct relationship in some of the bacteria that they found inside the plaque found in coronary artery disease is some of the same bacteria that they found inside the mouth. So that's why it's so important to maintain dental health. There are certain inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein is one of the measurements, ESR sedimentation rate. There's even one called plasma viscosity and another one called serum amyloid A. The serum amyloid A, it's a biomarker found in tissue injury and inflammation and chronic infections and inflammation. So now when you suspect or your doctor suspects that you have inflammation in the body, you can do some of these blood tests. And a lot of these inflammatory markers are found to be found in diseases like Alzheimer's disease, which is very interesting. And I was recently listening to a lecture from the uh, Blue Zone, the person who discovered the Blue Zones in National Geographic. And one of the things they were saying is that, for example, in Icaria and Greece and some place like Sardinia, they eat these drink these teas that like green mountain teas. And it turns out that these teas have anti-inflammatory properties, which also helps Alzheimer's. But they also found that a lot of these teas are diuretics and they probably control blood pressure and help lower blood pressure. So those may be another way that they can help keep people healthier. And they found that when you control blood pressure, you also have less Alzheimer's disease. And they looked at charts of uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So all these things uh, related to inflammation have to be uh, looked at. And also we have to reduce our input of things like uh, saturated fats and eating a lot of meat because they tend to be more inflammatory. And plant-based diets with fish, fresh legumes, fresh fruits all seem to be more helpful in reducing inflammation. But it's nice that we have these markers where we can do blood tests and figure it out. Now, uh, which one would you recommend? I think I've taken ESG before. Is that is that a good one? Yeah, the ESR sedimentation rate, the homocysteine, and the C-reactive protein seem to be the most common ones that really give you an insight whether you have some inflammatory process in the body. And sometimes people can have an elevated inflammatory marker like the C-reactive protein. And then the doctors do further tests and they discover that they have autoimmune disease or cancer or other causes of inflammation like infection can be found and even bad dental health can raise the inflammatory markers. So these are all things that our our listeners can think about and tell their doctors, discuss it with them, and then they can look into it further. And then it does create problems in your brain, uh, maybe towards Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Yeah, well, brain inflammation is associated with uh, Alzheimer's disease, and that's one of the problems is the blood-brain barrier. It's tough to get treatments to the brain. So that's why the healthy lifestyle, uh, activity, uh, movement, using your brain, your mind, trying to eat healthy, eating uh, healthy supplements, clean air, clean water, and a good gut microbiome all play a role in longevity and good brain health and reducing inflammation. But inflammation is a very important marker. What else would you like to talk to about uh, this Sunday morning? Well, I would like to tell people that respiratory diseases are up, COVID is up. Fortunately, there aren't any new wild strains, so try to uh, get diagnosed early and get tested. If you have flu, you can have oral antivirals like Tamiflu. If you get COVID, there are oral antivirals, and there's a new one coming out of Japan that will help treat people as well. 
And if you have strep, get it early because that can cause damage to heart valves and there are antibiotics that work well against that. So early diagnosis and treatment, very important as the flu season comes. Use a humidifier in the bedroom, keep your mucous membranes moist because when you're dried out, you get more sickness. So all these are all little tips and take your vitamin C, your vitamin D and eat a healthy balanced diet. Preferably the Mediterranean diet seems to be very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Michalos, for uh, spending t- time with us on Sunday morning and giving us how to live longer. Thank you so much. Thank you for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Well, it's the week before Christmas and all through the house that a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. Well, Bert Flickinger is with us. Bert Flickinger, it's 10 days or 7 days, 8 days before Christmas. How is the Christmas season coming? Are there going to be uh, disappointed retailers or are they going to be happy? What's going on? Give us an uh, update. John, disappointed retailers, and they should be praying at St. Patrick's and every religious institution across America because uh, when I took our uh, team to Luxury on Fifth Avenue and in, in the east side, uh, there were more people praying at St. Patrick's Cathedral, even though it was light for uh, lunchtime. Uh, but there were far more people praying at St. Patrick's than there were on any of the designer f- floors of Saks Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's uh, Bergdorf or Nordstrom. So it's bad for luxury. It's bad for uh, chain drug, chain dollar, uh, largely because of crime. And the only sector that's really doing well, John, as you know better than anybody in America, it's food because people have to feed their families so they can't afford to go to restaurants, can't afford to go to McDonald's. They're still going to the grocery stores, as the U.S. Department of Commerce told us on Thursday. Uh, but it, it, it looks it looks like a thin Christmas in terms of uh, sales and profits, especially adjusted for inflation, which is the way you like to do it and always completely correct. Uh, understood. Um, uh, but you you have any uh, additional readings from from uh, uh, the large retailers versus the Amazon types of the world? Yeah, yes, John, and surprisingly, the, uh, some of the largest retailers are uh, struggling. Uh, Target and Walmart to liquidate inventory left over from last year. They've worked through about 60% of it. So the shoppers who outsmart the stores and wait closer to Christmas and New Year's will get uh, some of the deepest discounts and best bargains in history. Costco's reporting softening uh, customer counts, as is BJ's as is uh, Walmart and Target, and off-price is doing okay. But uh, the, while the U.S. Department of Commerce is saying retail sales are slightly up, adjusted for inflation, almost every retailer in every class of trade is saying sales are under pressure because, as you've said so well so often, John, people can't afford to get the gas, the groceries, uh, pay the heat, and uh, uh, pay the rent. What else is going on in the industry, uh, uh, Bert Fleckinger? John, the biggest thing is uh, the biggest uh, retail merger in worldwide history, Kroger buying Albertsons. And what's uh, really shockingly surprising, John, is uh, you're a great unionized employer at Christides and D'Agostino's, as is uh, Mort Mort Williams and Fairway and a number of others, Key Food in New York City. 
Uh, but some of the unions are, are surprisingly against it. Kroger's created over 110,000 union jobs. It's pro-worker, pro-supplier, pro-consumer, uh, pro-community. Walmart, John, the Walden direct descendants of Sam Walden, who founded Walmart in 62, they make $100 million a day in dividends, John, from their Walmart stock. At the same time, the government's given Walmart about a billion dollars for free distribution centers or subsidized super centers, shopping centers, uh, and and, uh, distribution centers. And uh, while that's been happening at taxpayer expense, Costco and Amazon have gotten all these government giveaways. And uh, Walmart's number one in food. Amazon's three. Costco's right up there. And Kroger and uh, Kroger and Amazon have to combine uh, to have the first true supermarket chain across America. And after Walmart's catalyzed or contributed uh, to 50 of the top 150 retailers filing for bankruptcy or liquidation, Walmart's been a factor in 98 percent of them. Uh, it's the last chance for viability because, John, you and uh, Gristides and D'Agostino share private label packers uh, with Kroger and Albertsons, and this is the proverbial last, best, and final hope for uh, unionized supermarkets, especially supermarkets like your, yours and Margot and Family John that support inner-city retail because you saw Walmart got all the subsidies in Chicago and the south side and the west side, the poorest uh, precincts, and then as soon as the subsidies ran out, Walmart left town, and we're seeing that from New Orleans to Chicago and across to California and uh, into New England. And it's sickening that uh, the wealthiest family in the world is being subsidized, as is Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest man in the world. And at the same time, uh, Kroger and Costco or Kroger and Albertsons have lowered prices $5 billion in the last 20 years, and they'll help consumers. But the FTC still hasn't decided. And Hopefully, just, it'll uh, be an enlightened decision. You, thank you. you know the FTC well, John. I know him well. Uh, thank you, uh, Bert Flickinger, uh, and thank you for coming on. Merry Christmas, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Best to you and your family and team, John. You're the greatest. Save the city, save the state, and save the country. God bless America. Thank you. With us today is Mario Economo. He is a banker from the three largest banks in, in the country, Mario, I understand there's some interesting things going on. Would you fill in the American people? Uh, yes. Good morning, uh, Cats Roundtable. Uh, we know that on Friday, the large container ship company Maersk Line, as well as Hapag Lloyd, have pretty much suspended operations through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. This is as a result of the recent attacks by the Yemeni Houthis that are firing missiles at various merchant ships and trying to sink them. They've actually hit some ships. They've actually seized other ships and they're holding them in their ports. The situation obviously is very volatile. So these companies that have these container ships are recommending and actually instructing their operators not to go through there. Now, what does that mean? That means that on the back of what we saw with respect to supply chain disruptions as a result of the COVID pandemic, we're going to once again see this happen. 
And it's going to depend how long this goes on for, but it's it's rather obvious that the Houthis in Yemen are not going to stop firing missiles. And in fact, they've said that they will hit any Western ship that comes through there. Obviously, this is going to increase uh, shipping at times as the ships will have to make their way around Africa. It's going to disrupt supply chains, and it's going to actually increase the cost of uh, products that are shipped from China into Europe. Western Europe, Southern Europe, as That's well as Africa, seri- for that matter. Serious amount of money, serious amount of time, and this is serious. Now, you said it's going to cost more for the Chinese. It's the Chinese ships or the other ships that uh, the Houthis don't like that are carrying Chinese products? It's, uh, it's, uh, they are attacking, essentially, Western interests. But, of course, these ships carry containers they, uh, which are chartered by Chinese companies to ship their goods around the world. So this is actually going to be, we know that China is a very large producer of all sorts of things. So we know that this is now going to have an impact on products that are coming out of China. And this will actually make the situation with respect to inflation, whereas it was looking that things were getting a little bit better, it's actually now going to deteriorate once again rather rapidly. The Houthis have actually succeeded in what their goal was, which was to disrupt shipping through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, and therefore to disrupt global supply chains. That is very, very serious. How is the rest of Europe doing? What do you hear? Give me a quick uh, analysis. Well, they're actually meeting, the Europeans are meeting, the prime ministers and presidents are meeting in Brussels uh, this week. Uh, They've met, and they're going to be discussing several things, one of which was the, uh, the beginning of talks for Ukraine to join the European Union. There was one holdout, and that was, of course, Hungary's Orban. He was not going to sign. He was going to veto it. But apparently when the voting came around, he actually left the room and the measure was actually passed. So Ukraine now is going to start the process of joining the European Union. That's not NATO. People should not get confused. It has nothing to do with NATO, but they will begin that process. Orban, however, did decline to vote in favor of, and therefore the EU is going to withhold 50 billion euros that they were going to actually give to the Ukraine. So he's actually succeeded in um, making sure that they will not be getting any additional money. What else is going on with interest rates? I understand Russia has increased their central bank rate to what, 16% or something? Yeah, we need to stop focusing on all these uh, horror stories that people keep discussing with respect to Russia. Russia. Russia has essentially won the war in the Ukraine. Everything that's happening now is just uh, prolonging the pain and the suffering of the Ukrainian men and women at this point who are actually fighting on the front line. We need to, uh, we need to actually sit down and speak to the Russians. I'm not sure what the Europeans are doing and what they're thinking. The idea that the Europeans believe they can actually wage any type of a war against the Russians is absurd at best. We know that in Germany, the chancellor there is uh, actually in very, very deep trouble with respect to his uh, polling numbers. And if we look at what what used to be the eastern part of Germany, the AFD, which is the far-right party, is polling at 32 percent. They're essentially in first place. In your opinion, in your opinion, Russia has won the war and the story is, how do we uh, settle things down? Well, 
the, the, the story is that Russia has won the war. Now what we need to do is what I said about 15 months ago when I suggested that everybody sit down and speak to the Russians because at this point everything that uh, President Putin and Russia have taken, they will not return. And if they keep pushing westward, the more land they take, the less they're going to be prepared to give back. So there is an opportunity now. They're probably going to lose 25% of their land. If everybody decides to dig their heels in and try to fight a war that they're not going to win, Ukraine could actually lose more land. And I can't stress this enough, but Americans need to understand there is no large standing army in Europe that can go and fight the Russians. I don't know why the Europeans think there is. I don't know why the Americans believe there's some type of a European marine expeditionary force that can go. None of that stuff exists. You've seen Mr. Katsimatidis. I've sent you articles, literature, the number of artillery pieces that the European Union has pale in comparison with respect to what the Russians have. So I'm not sure what the end game is here, but I think everybody needs to sit down. You can keep cutting checks, but it's not going to make a difference. The outcome has already been decided. Now what everybody needs to do is sit down and figure out how to stop this thing from spreading while there's another large situation ongoing in the Middle East. Mario Kanamu, thank you for coming on this uh, Sunday morning, and uh, let's continue to talk. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Katsimatidis. Enjoy your day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.